It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Who they think they're going to beat them Bengals? It is the Locked On Bengals podcast with your hosts, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. What up, Bengals fans, and welcome to another episode of the Locked On Bengals podcast. Today is Crossover Wednesday. We're joined by Locked On 49ers and Locked On NFL's Brian Peacock in segments two and three to talk about the matchup with the San Francisco 49ers in our initial game preview for this week's contest in Cincinnati, the home opener against the San Francisco 49ers. Before that, we've got some news to update you on. The Bengals released Jordan Willis and signed a linebacker. We've got our initial observations from looking at the All-22 film. Then we'll come back with Brian Peacock and talk about the different matchups in the San Francisco game. Now you're locked on Bengals' lead story. I'm Jake Lisko along with my co-host Joe Goodberry. Cincinnati Bengals today on September 10th released defensive end third round pick from 2017 Jordan Willis who was ostensibly the 11th guy they kept on the defensive line that means that Andrew Brown was ahead of him on the depth chart that's a fun note and in doing so the corresponding move they signed former San Francisco 49er for this preseason only Leroy Reynolds who's a journeyman linebacker special teamer Hasn't graded particularly well for pro football focus, but maybe they feel like they want another linebacker active, another special teamer. Maybe they're just looking for information on that San Francisco playbook. Yeah, this seems like a Bill Belichick move, right? Where you would take on a guy from the team you're playing this week just to try and pick his brain a little bit. And the Bengals need a depth or or a fifth guy at linebacker. As we saw during the game on Sunday, they were a 3-4 defense. So really only having four linebackers isn't a detriment to this team. It's not going to hurt them, but having a fifth guy that can play special teams should help. On Jordan Willis, just 24 years old, a third-round pick. This is his third year in the league, three career sacks. He had a good run-defending rookie season, and that was nowhere to be found last year. And you could see during the preseason this year and the way the defensive line was shaping up with a lot of talent, a lot of depth, that he just was at the back end, and I wasn't sure where he was going to fit in. I think the weeks and the performances and expectations of Sam Hubbard and Carl Lawson, the Lawson who was drafted the same year, just one round later than Willis, is obviously a big part of this team. So Willis was just the odd man out. I think he'll be claimed. I think there's still some upside here. He was always an athletic freak that had the production, but when you watched him on tape, even back at K-State, you wondered how he got so much production and how he was able to win with the stiffness and the, the hand usage. That really was was what was holding him back as an NFL pro. 
Speaking of film, I think we both had a chance to look at at least some of the All-22 that came out today. The first thing that jumped out to me, two things really. On offense, a lot of run-pass option. And on defense, a lot of weird rotation in the secondary, some interesting zone blitz packages, and a lot of cover four, or quarters coverage, if not cover four, in the back end of the defense. Yeah, I agree. I think the the one that really stands out is the go-ahead touchdown uh, pass from Russell Wilson and Tyler Lockett that really pretty much sealed the game. It was an inverted cover, too. They went from showing a deep free safety in Jesse Bates to pulling him down on the crossing route and having both boundary corners squeeze that that seam receiver, which was Tyler Lockett, and they just couldn't get there in time. And I, you kind of wonder, was Bates supposed to stay back? And when I went and watched the All-22 film, you saw a couple plays earlier in the game where they did the exact same thing and showed the same look with just a different player. And you get to the point of, okay, so maybe it wasn't on Bates. Maybe this is something Seattle saw previously. Yeah, I was just going to say, maybe this is just something you chalk up to good coaching from Seattle and they called the right play at the right time, got the look they wanted and took advantage of a spot where they knew there would be a hole in the coverage because you're asking Drake Kirkpatrick essentially to watch a post from the opposite side of the field when he's also responsible for his half of the field and then to get back there. I think that's just a play that's going to beat that coverage most of the time if the pressure doesn't get home and the Bengals did not get pressure home on that play. Right, they didn't, but most of the game they were. When they came out, they, they showed a lot of looks with five defensive linemen. They showed some looks with no linebackers. Five defensive linemen, no linebackers, six defensive backs. It was really interesting, exotic things. I'm going to have a lot to talk about this week with that because I think it's it's something we haven't seen. The creativity on that defensive side of the ball, even from the coverages, is something we haven't seen from this Bengals unit in a long time. Even going back to Mike Zimmer when they had good defenses, were pretty straightforward in their approach. Yeah, the Mike Zimmer defenses were just really, really good at doing the things that Mike Zimmer asked them to do. To do. The sugaring the A-gap looks were a little bit creative, and they did some interesting things there. That was a bit pioneering or at least popularized under Mike Zimmer. And now we're getting totally different systems, so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. My biggest question for the Bengals going forward into this game with the 49ers is, how much are they going to look the same week to week? Are we going to get the same sort of personnel groupings? Are we going to get the same sorts of plays? The flea flicker's out of the bag. They're in it twice, Zach Taylor said after the game. And then if you go back and watch, it's very obvious the first time they run it. And I think the adjustment they made is they probably chipped the guy coming off the right edge because the Seattle was crashing hard on the run. Joe Mixon would not have had time to pitch the ball back and clearly didn't. And he took the hit for, for no gain. I thought the Bengals, though, looking back at the film, left a lot on the field on offense. There's a lot of room for improvement, little things that I think should get a little bit better as Andy Dalton and the receivers get more comfortable in the offense. But the drop back passing game is going to be something that we're going to have to watch. And it was an issue. Some of the drop back passes, the balls that didn't come out, I felt I was critiquing more than the balls that did come out of Andy Dalton's hands. Yeah, mostly his decisions were pretty good, but occasionally you wonder, the ball needs to come out now. Where are you looking? Why aren't you looking in the right place? There are a couple of places where they stayed in max protect and there's just nobody open to. This has been your Locked On Bengals lead story for September 10th. For Joe Goodberry, I'm Jake Lisko. Guys, let's talk about sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, 
They work up as twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Let me tell you, we get free samples, and if you think Marshawn Lynch has a good stiff arm, you've seen nothing yet. Blue Chew is prescribed online and ships straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor visits, no waiting at the pharmacy, and best of all, no awkwardness. They're made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than the pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay the $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Lockdown Bengals podcast. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. All right, here we are. It's a Locked On 49ers, Locked On Bengals crossover. Brian Peacock here, host of Locked On 49ers, and I am with the co-hosts of Locked On Bengals. We've got Joe and Jake. You can find Joe on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and Jake at Jake underscore NFL. If you want to hit me up on Twitter, I am at BD Peacock. Usually what we get here with the crossovers is the opposing fans of the opposite crossover team get mad when we say something good about the team that we cover. And I get a lot of those on my uh, on my Twitter feed after I post a crossover. They're like, well, that Bucks guy, I think he thinks his team's way too good. And so um, I don't know how you guys feel about the Bengals, but I think 49ers fans right now are feeling pretty good about the 49ers. So we'll see when we do our predictions at the end how uh, high we are on our teams. But it's a pleasure to talk to both of you, and uh, I'm excited for week two of the NFL season. Yeah, it's a pleasure to talk to you too, Brian, and uh, 49ers fan bases out there. But, uh, you know, I think after talking to the Seahawks last week, I kind of – Felt like I, I sold the Bengals a little too positively, and then they went out there and pretty much dominated them. So I wonder how they're feeling this week. <laughs> that was a so that was a probably a, a nice surprise I think for Bengals fans. Or it was a nice surprise on my end as a 49ers person, uh, not following the Bengals, thinking the Bengals could be a team that's on a slippery slope right now heading into 2019, and it seemed to not be the case. Uh, I, I guess we're going to start here with the 49ers offense against the Bengals defense. I know there's one guy, and I do this. Uh, I'm a big draft guy, Joe. I know you're a big draft guy as well. And uh, I do this Shadow 49ers draft. And Carl Lawson was one of my Shadow 49ers draft picks. I've always liked him a lot. And it's nice to see him healthy. I was worried about his health coming into 2019. Uh, when the 49ers have the ball, what are, what are they going to be looking at with that Bengals defense? What's what's the strength of that defense? Yeah, the strength is that defensive line. They're pretty deep. We feel pretty good about them. The one unknown we had going into the season, especially from preseason because they didn't show anything, was how they're going to use this front, specifically Carl Lawson, because the last couple years, Marvin Lewis just used him as a right defensive end in their nickel packages. And so if the team was running the ball, the opposite team, and the Bengals were down, Carl Lawson didn't get to play. But if the Bengals were scoring points and, and it was a passing game, Carl Lawson got a lot of snaps. It wasn't very efficient. It, it allowed the other team to control 
how often he was playing. But when you look at it now, the Bengals come out, and we thought they may do this. Keeping only four linebackers on this team, we said, well, maybe they go to a 3-4 defense and use those edge guys like Carl Lawson, Sam Hubbard, and Carlos Dunlap as edge players, so really not outside linebackers. You guys know you play this similar defense in uh, San Francisco, but that's what the Bengals showed in Seattle week one. So that's a little bit of what we're seeing from the Bengals defense, but how about the San Francisco offense? We know that Jarek McKinnon's hurt. George Kittle is a massive threat. I don't know much about the weapons outside of those guys. Are the wide receivers anything we should be scared of? How's the offensive line looked? It looked like they graded pretty well from pro football focus in week one. What can you tell us about what to expect from the 49ers offensive strengths? Uh, I think up front, everything should be as, I mean, as consistent as you would want an offensive line or as, as most offensive lines could be in the NFL right now. It seems like every single team around the league, their one of their weaknesses is somewhere on the offensive line. For the 49ers, it's probably their depth on the O-line, but they're returning five starters from last year, which I think is huge, and they've all played together for a full season, and they played pretty well in that last game. They actually didn't run the ball all that great against the Buccaneers, but they kept Jimmy Garoppolo fairly clean. He was sacked one time. So I, I think the offensive line will be maybe not a wow offensive line, but just a pretty consistent, solid line, and the fact that they got Weston Richburg back just in time. He played zero snaps in the preseason. He got a knee procedure done in the offseason, and he was playing through, through it hurt all last year. So for him to be back and be 100% and for him to make it back in time to start game one and he played 100% of the snaps Sunday in Tampa Bay was, I, I think, a huge deal for the 49ers. And, and seeing him at his full strength, what you know, because Kyle Shanahan loves to have a good center in his offense. And Richburg's athleticism, I think, will be huge for the running game and getting out and reaching uh, linebackers. And, and just that athleticism will be huge. And Mike McGlinchey already was one of the better offensive uh, run-blocking offensive tackles in the league. So... Him improving as a pass blocker, I think, will be key for that 49ers line as well. And, of course, Joe Staley just staying Joe Staley and not seeing a decline in his skills will be huge. But the wide receivers you asked about, I don't know. And, and Kyle Shanahan himself doesn't even know. He, 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 he seriously has no idea who the best receiver is on the team, who the starters are going to be week to week. And all throughout the offseason – Dante Pettis, the second-year guy, was penciled in as that number one wide receiver, and he was playing the flanker spot. And then week one rolled around, and and Kyle Shanahan had kind of said some things that, you know, Pettis needs to play with more urgency. And then they show up, and they line up, and Dante Pettis wasn't in the game to start. And it was actually the rookie Debo Samuel out there at flanker, even though he was playing pretty much the X the whole preseason. And Marquise Goodwin was on the other side. And then when they went three wide, it was Richie James in the slot because Trent Taylor is hurt, and... Dante Pettis was still on the bench. So Pettis only got two snaps, which was quite surprising to most uh, onlookers in that game. And Shanahan said afterwards that it was a little bit of a mistake on his part and he wanted to get Pettis more work. But it was pretty clear that he wasn't at the top of uh, the depth chart right now for the 49ers. So it's Dante Pe or it's uh, Debo Samuel and it's Marquise Goodwin. And D Debo Samuel had a really big boy first down where he caught a slant in traffic, was able to fight through the corner for for a a third down conversion. I think it was third and 12. And it's that type of physicality, that type of play that I think the 49ers are going to love from Debo Samuel. What they already love about Debo and the fact that he's already starting means uh, I think Debo's the guy to, you know, if you're a fantasy football player, Debo's probably the guy to own right now because it looks like he's not going to relent and he'll be that starting flanker pretty much the rest of the year. And we'll see where Dante Pettis fits in. But I think the big worry right now is less than wide receiver. It's more about Jimmy Garoppolo and his consistency coming back from that knee injury. And he didn't look great early in that game through a really ugly pick six, but they really picked it up in the second half and he started looking better. And that 
passing offense is all about George Kittle. He was uh, he had 10 targets in that game. The next closest was, I think, Debo with three targets. So it, it's all about Kittle. It's early and often to Kittle. They're going to hit him short and let him run after the catch. They threw some uh, some tight end screens to him, and they're going to try to hit him deep down the seam. So it's all about George Kittle. I would put two or three guys on him if I were the Bengals. Yeah, I saw Jimmy G. Uh, his average depth of target was the lowest in the league or amongst the lowest. It was really the opposite of what we saw in the from the Bengals' offense. Uh, the Bengals were just chucking it downfield, and it was a really only hope to create create offensive plays, and they did with John Ross. But uh, that's what I was going to ask you. Was it just checkdowns? Was it the, just Ross going through the offense, or or was it just nothing downfield because of the receivers? I think it's just a little bit of um, a continuity thing there, and I, I think – the Bengals, or I mean, think uh, the, I think Tampa was doing a good job of making sure they didn't get beat deep and making the 49ers earn it and make the 49ers, you know, uh, drive their way down the field slowly and methodically. And early in the game, they weren't able to do that. And, and eventually they were able to pick it up. But I think it was a lot on Garoppolo and a little bit on the play calling. And uh, there was some weird field position stuff. There was a blocked kick in there. And so it was just an awkward game and a really sloppy game to start. So I think it, it'll look a lot different just because it's week two, and I think they've got their legs under them now. And, and Jimmy Garoppolo's got a full game under his belt, and he didn't play much in the preseason at all. So I expect things to look a little bit different against uh, the Bengals. So I wouldn't even expect it to really look the same except for George Kittle being the guy that's that's completely the the – really the emphasis of the entire offense. But I would I would like to see them run the ball a little bit better. They didn't quite get going, and Tevin Coleman is hurt, and he's going to be out for a few weeks now. So it's going to be Matt Breida, number one, and Raheem Mostert, number two. And all those guys run 4-3, so they all do the same thing and can gouge you very quickly. So if you're not gap sound, and I think Matt Breida is the best runner of all of them anyway, so I, I think there won't be any fall-off at all for the 49ers running game. If anything, it'll be a little bit better with Matt Breida in there over Tevin Coleman. That's what I expect. Um one question I do have real quick before we move on to the other side of the ball about that Bengals defense is what's the back end looking like? Uh, I know that um, they played the the Seahawks really well. I, I saw a few plays. I think Lockett only had one catch, and it was that touchdown catch. And then DK Metcalf, who's one of my favorites, a shadow 49er, by the way, uh, who was making a few plays. And it was nice to see him get out there as a rookie and, and make some – I think he was, had the best rookie – receiving game ever for the Seahawks but uh, what are what are the what's the back end looking like what's the secondary looking like for the Bengals I think we're seeing some coverages from the Bengals that we haven't seen before under new defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo they're doing some rotations after the snap that are a little bit unusual at least to my eye stuff like rolling BW Webb out of the slot into a deep quarter and rotating after the snap that way the starting outside corners I'd say are pretty solid Drake Kirkpatrick is probably an average NFL corner, and William Jackson is a guy that the Bengals have a lot of hopes for. He had a little bit of a rough week one. He gave up uh, what should have been a catch to Tyler Lockett at some point and got beat by DK Metcalf's size another time. The safeties are, again, uh, something that we thought would be a strength, but Jesse Bates has struggled through the preseason and struggled early this season, but he still has great free safety, center field kind of range to him, so... The secondary should be pretty solid. For me, I think the the biggest threat for the Bengals on San Francisco's team is easily George Kittle. And then it comes down to, can a better offensive line in San Francisco deal with the strength of the Bengals' defense, which is that defensive line? And how do those matchups play out? So yeah, George Kittle versus those Bengals linebackers is a, is a fun one. And George Kittle, you think you have him 
down. You think you have the angle on him, and he outruns the angle. He's really so much more athletic than you think, and I think he shocks teams the first time they get on the field with him because he is so fast and such a good runner. You mentioned John Ross a minute ago, and I've got big questions there. So let's flip this thing and talk Bengals offense versus 49ers defense. If you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or keep walking? Of course you take the money. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. My bookie offers a variety of options depending on your style of betting. You can bet on games after kickoff if by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can take the other side and recoup your cash. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, you can try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. No matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit. Just use promo code LOCKEDON to activate the offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today to play so you win and get paid. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. We teased John Ross there, and I saw the big game he had, and it was really cool to see his breakout because there was, I mean, there was people that were completely writing him off for dead, and I'm sure Bengals fans were super angry about spending a number nine overall pick on a guy who hadn't done much so far in his career. But when I saw the, I didn't really look at the whole, the whole game or anything, but I saw a few plays and one of those John Ross plays was completely on Tedrick Thompson, the free safety. So I hope 49ers safety Tarvarius Moore can uh, read the ball a little bit better. I think one of those plays completely shouldn't have happened, but what are you seeing from John Ross? I know the speed is there. Is there a little more um, technique to his game as well coming into this year? Well, the thing is, the speed being fully there is actually the first time we've seen it. Last year, he averaged 10 yards per catch, even though he did have seven touchdowns that year. Uh, we didn't see him at all, really, his rookie season. Didn't have a, didn't catch one single pass. So even last year, you felt like he never got to that last gear, if even maybe the final two gears. So he was never able to take the top off. He didn't have two big catches the way he did in this game. So seeing him out there, seeing him run these speed outs and, and how these corners were starting to bail on him, especially in the second half. It was really impressive. I got done watching the film today and I thought they could have thrown it to him 20 times because the corners were just bailing out of there instantly because they knew he would scorch them downfield. Now, the negative is he had three drops and in fact, he bobbled a couple catches that he did have. So it's still an issue with him. He had seven drops last year. He caught about 35% of his targets last year. He's He's been a very inefficient receiver, but he's a big play waiting to happen. He's a bomb at any moment you throw him the ball. You don't know if it's going to be positive or negative. Everyone just holds their breath. I mean, I think both sidelines are holding their breath when the ball is targeted to John Ross in excitement and in fear. So right now he's still a big play weapon and he is even though he hasn't been super efficient and that's exciting because the Bengals need that the other receivers are decent and good Tyler Boyd 
is a very good slot possession receiver. They threw a bunch of balls to Tyler Eifert, who's healthy again somewhat. He doesn't look as quick and fast, but they didn't use him that way either. Well, he hauled in everything his way. And they've got some other possession guys, and Damian Willis, who's an undrafted rookie, and Alex Erickson, who's been a backup slot and return man. So they need the speed from John Ross, and we're lucky to get it in week one. So the 49ers will counter with Akello Witherspoon and Richard Sherman outside. I wonder, do either of them have the speed to stay with Ross? And then I wonder, well, is it going to matter? Seattle came in with Jadavion Clowney threatening the Bengals' patchwork offensive line to be generous. And Nick Bosa had a nice rookie premiere. D. Ford's out there for the 49ers now, along with DeForest Buckner. Where do you see this game coming down to when the Bengals are on the field? Yeah, when it comes to those defensive backs you mentioned and Sherman and Akella Witherspoon both of them had really good games last week especially Witherspoon him playing with confidence him playing with kind of that urgency similar guy more of a finesse player coming out of college like uh, Dante Pettis that I mentioned before so seeing him play with uh, with confidence and urgency and a little bit of uh, physicality I think is huge and, and he was looking really good not only the pick six that he had that was thrown right to him that was more about the pass rush and forcing uh, Jameis Winston into some mistakes but uh, he had a couple other pass breakups and was just really good in coverage. But I think it's an advantage for the Bengals to have faced the Seahawks and now get to face the 49ers that are pretty much running the same defense and a lot of cover three and a lot of similar cons- concepts from uh, Robert Sala, 49ers defensive coordinator that came out of that, that Pete Carroll and uh, Gus Bradley tree over there in Seattle. So a lot of cover three. So to me, it's not so much a one-on-one matchup and maybe uh, Jason Verrett, if he gets back healthy this week, and we all know how often he's injured, but he's such a dynamic player and such a quick twitch athlete when he is healthy. If there was a man-on-man matchup, I would say you would put Jason Verrett on John Ross. But it, it, to me, it comes down to, especially watching that Seattle game and watching Tedrick Thompson screw things up in center field, it's all about the second-year free safety in Tarverius Moore because he's a 4-3 guy. He can run. Seeing him range sideline to sideline, I think, is the bigger key to, uh, to keep him the top on for John Ross more than anything else but really the strength of the 49ers D just like the Bengals is that front and that defensive line and they really got after Jameis Winston and that was the thing was like okay if you can pressure Jameis Winston he'll make mistakes and that is exactly what happened last week and Bosa was as advertised in his first game he's dealing with a high ankle sprain that he just came back from so he's not even 100% he wasn't even able to change directions hardly and he's still so sound with his hands and was able to pressure the quarterback I think six times I think he got six pressures in the game D Ford coming off the edge forcing a fumble and of course DeForest Buckner is just an Iron Man, and he's going to be DeForest Buckner. And they still have two other first rounders in Eric Armstead and Solomon Thomas. They can filter in and rush from the inside in nickel situations. So uh, it's a re- that's the strength of the defense that front. So pressuring Andy Dalton and uh, trying to make him make some mistakes is huge. And they weren't able to do that last year at all. They had no edge pressure, and they got more interceptions in Week One this year than they had all of last season. They only had two last year, and they got three last week. So that's going to be, I think, the huge thing for the 49ers. And of course, a guy that nobody talks about, the most underrated player on the 49ers team probably that I've got to mention is a linebacker, Fred Warner, who's been just rock solid in the middle for that 49ers defense. When the 49ers defense lines up there and that front is up against the Bengals offensive line, how suited is that offensive line for Cincinnati? I know they're really banged up to to face that 49ers front. Well, yeah, the the offensive line isn't uh, in the best shape right now. Not only was it bad coming into the year, but they draft Jonah Williams, number one. He got hurt in minicamp OTAs, and uh, he's out for the year. From what we expect, he's on the pup list right now. They may get him back in December. But he was going to be the left tackle, 
And Clint Bowling, who was their veteran 10-year, 9-year guy at left guard, he retired. And they were going to move Cordy Glenn to left guard and, and go through uh, the rest of the motions from there. But what ended up happening is with the Bowling retirement, with the Jonah Williams injury, they had to move Cordy Glenn back to left tackle. But Cordy Glenn has not been able to stay healthy throughout the latter half of his career, even slightly. So, of course, he's dealing with a concussion, couldn't play week one. He's not out of the protocol as of today, as of, as of recording this. It was Andre Smith, longtime Bengal, and, you know, still hanging around somehow, playing left tackle for them. Bobby Hart at right tackle, who they inexplicably, inexplicably re-signed in the offseason, gave him $21 million, three years, and he was still pretty poor, even though he actually had some moments uh, on Sunday. But they've got a rookie fourth-rounder at left guard in, in Michael Jordan. They benched Billy Price last year's first rounder at center in, in favor of Trey Hopkins, who ended up being PFF's number one center for week one. So that might have been an upgrade right there. And at right guard is a veteran free agent they signed from Buffalo, John Miller. Basically, it's a bad unit. But the Bengals used a lot of play action, a lot of misdirection, and they threw the ball 51 times. They didn't even try to run it because they couldn't. And that's been the big issue, really, with this offense is throughout preseason and week one. I mean, zero semblance of a running game. They're not even averaging two yards per carry. So if you count, all, you know, the whole summer we've had here, it's uh, it's scary. And you wonder if getting Joe Mixon back, if he's healthy, because he's dealing with an ankle sprain right now, if he doesn't play, uh, it could be bad again, and they might just throw it 50 more times. Well, at least you don't have one of those old, crusty head coaches that's like the the hashtag establish the run coach, right? So that's probably Is this true? at least a little bit less frustrating for you guys, I imagine. Zach Taylor yeah, is that, still an established to run kind of guy, but he was at least talking about it. And, and then he went out and didn't try to run the ball. The Bengals had the worst expected points added in the running game. I don't know if you saw that today. The grid came out. The Bengals running game was atrocious. They were giving up yards every time they went out there and tried to run the ball. They have one positive running play where I'd say they clearly won, which was an 11-yard yep. run to Giovanni Bernard. The only time they got off a combo block and got to the second level. So if San Francisco watches the Seattle tape and sees, okay, we can do what the Patriots did to the Rams last year, put five, six guys on the line of scrimmage and put our middle linebacker in the middle of the field, the Bengals don't seem equipped to handle that again. And if that's the case, then they might become one-dimensional. And if the 49ers defensive line and the edge rushers are deeper than what we saw in Seattle, which they are on paper at the very least, it could be a long day for the Bengals if the 49ers are able to react well to the play action and there's a lot of package plays I started to notice on my rewatch. Mm -hmm. And if the 49ers stay disciplined, it could be a long day for the Bengals offense. On the other hand, we still don't really know what to expect. We have about a game's worth of tape and we'll see how variable they can be on a week to week basis, I think. And that's something that Joe and I are waiting for. Yeah, that's a great point that pretty much everything we saw in week one will probably get completely flipped on its head because that's just the way of the NFL in the early season and, and things are definitely going to change. I guess we probably only have a couple minutes left. Should we do the, the predictions for this one? Yeah, I guess so. Okay. Uh, I'll let you guys go first. What do you guys have? Bengals 49ers at home. You get to see the same defense two weeks in a row. I think that's an advantage. I actually think the 49ers might be better than Seattle. I've said this to Jake a couple of times that I think the defense is better in Seattle. So I think definitely the front line. I mean, you, I was going to ask you about how Solomon Thomas do, doing because that's my guy, but I see he's kind of buried in the depth chart and being a role player, but, you know, that's okay. But And, and my point being is they're deep. Really, this Seattle had Jadavion Clowney that you had to worry about. Sure, they've got some quality players in there that made plays and batted a bunch of balls, but uh, I'm not nearly as concerned with Seattle's D-line as I am right now going into this 49ers game. So I think 
49ers strength versus the Bengals weakness up front could tilt this game in, in the way the Bengals really can't afford. I, I like the 49ers here. I would say this is going to be a close game again. I'm going to go 24-21 San Fran. And in my opinion, I'm taking a Bengals win here, but a similar margin of victory, maybe 24-21 Cincinnati, maybe 27-24. I think that Cincinnati exceeded expectations so wildly, nine and a half point dogs in the most hostile place to play in September. Seattle's record against opponents in the last few Septembers under Pete Carroll, they're blowing teams out in their home openers, outscoring them by a margin of over 100 points in the last few years. So I, I like the Bengals' chances just because I think that they might be a stronger team than we gave them credit for. But that being said, Joe Mixon, if he doesn't play, that's a problem. If Cordy Glenn doesn't play, that's a problem. I wouldn't be surprised to see the San Francisco defensive line tilt this thing. And the San Francisco offensive line certainly should be better than what we saw from Seattle last week, which could hamstring really the thing the Bengals are leaning on to make the defense work. That being said, it's George Kittle that really scares me, like I said in the first segment. And if George Kittle gets going, and the Bengals historically have had issues with tight ends, this hasn't reared its head yet in 2019, but that's a big thing to watch for me. I think I'm pretty close to where Joe was on this one, and I, I was actually a little bit surprised that the Bengals, and they are at home, but the Bengals are favored by one and a half points, so pretty close there. And it's so hard to win on the road in this league, and for the 49ers who won zero road games last year, to come out and go back-to-back road games and win in both is going to be difficult, but I think they can. But I think it'll be a close win. I think it might be a little more of a grinded-out, low-scoring affair. But last week, George Kittle uh, had two touchdowns called back because of penalties. I think this week, the 49ers will, will tighten up some of those penalties, and uh, we'll see George Kittle get to pay dirt. And I think the 49ers front can hassle the Bengals enough and uh, come away with the 27-24 win on the road. Start 2-0 on the road, which would be quite a surprise for what the 49ers have been doing the last couple of years. I think we see it as a coin flip together. Brian, thanks for joining us for this crossover Wednesday from Locked On 49ers. This has been your Locked On Bengals, Locked On 49ers Wednesday crossover episode. And I'm not really sure what to say to wrap this up. You guys have any ideas? Woo! Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! That's it. That's it. That's how we end it. See you guys. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.